0: You are listening to the Gay Florida Man Podcast. This podcast is hosted by retired corrections officer, Mark DeWolf, who will discuss various topics prevalent to corrections, gay culture, arts and entertainment, as well as current events. Listeners need to be advised that this podcast will discuss situations involving extreme violence, substance abuse, sexual assault, and murder. Details of actual events have been modified so as to protect the privacy of involved parties. Welcome back to The Gay Florida Man. This is episode... 35. I hope that you're following us on social media on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If not, please add us because there's a lot more things on those social media sites about the podcast. In 1984, Wes Craven released a horror movie that saved the production company New Line Cinema from bankruptcy. Inspired by Los Angeles Times articles of deaths of Southeast Asian refugees who died while having wicked nightmares. A Nightmare on Elm Street became an overnight hit that would spawn seven sequels. In 1987, New Line released the third film in the series, A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. The story involved a group of teenagers being treated at a psychiatric hospital for their nightmares. Will Stanton was one of those teenagers. Confined to a wheelchair and a passion for Dungeons and Dragons, dreams allowed Will to use his legs and take on Freddy as the Wizard Master. And today, I chat with the actor that played Will, Ira Hayden, about battling Freddy, working with Elvira, and his successful Hollywood career.
1: Will, you look tired. You have a seat.
0: No, thanks. I'm fine, just the way I am. For now, baby. But when you wake up, it's back in the saddle again. So joining us is now Ira, who we all know as Will Stanton or the Wizard Master, if you're a Nightmare on Elm Street Dream Warriors fan. Welcome to the podcast, Ira. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. It's so awesome to have somebody representing the Nightmare on Elm Street series to come on the podcast. It's amazing.
1: We're the dream warriors, man.
0: (laughs) It's very, very cool. Even before then, I wanted to kind of understand a little bit of your background. Now, I had read online, and I don't know how much this is true, but so you were born in New York? Is that correct? That is is correct, sir. Before you, uh, you got into Hollywood, you were actually in Tampa, Florida. Yes, I was. You see, and that's not very far from where I'm at. Oh, my gosh. Really? Where are yeah. you? So I'm actually in central Florida, about 40 miles just outside of Orlando. So roughly an hour from Orlando.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. Now I know where you're at. I'm very nice. I was in uh, Oldsmore, Florida, home of the Armadillo.
0: <laughs> very nice. And you were in high school there when you saw the first Nightmare on Elm Street, I heard on an interview.
1: Yes. Well, I I watched it between my hands
0: because I was scared. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. I was too. That was amazing. I fell in love with Freddie right then. I look at your professional headshots on IMDb and some other sources, and what's your secret? Because you don't age.
1: Mark, it's the Los Angeles water. There's something weird (laughs) in our water here, and uh, it doesn't (laughs) age certain people yet doubles for others so
0: i tell you you could reprise your role it's absolutely stunning when i saw your pictures i'm like oh my god like how old are these photos and i'm like no that's him now and it was crazy
1: i kid you not you know you talk about reprising roles uh this we were just in uh pennsylvania at monster mania convention and uh we're talking about redoing dream warriors and uh so that's that's actually funny you said that
0: I would love for your character to come back because I think a lot of people fell in love with your character. You look at the different characters that were represented in the movie. And of course, you guys are all inside the hospital getting the medical help that you need. But your character is so easy to fall in love with. He's just such a sweet kid.
1: That's yeah. that And that's that was me. I mean, honestly, that was uh, me and. Uh, middle school, playing Dungeons and Dragons. I loved wizardry. I loved sorcery. I loved J.R.R. Tolkien, Lord of the Rings. Those were <laughs> my favorite books growing up. So, you know, Gandalf and and everything like that. So it was simple, Mark, to, to be able to play that
0: role. So I'm going to get to that here in a minute. But I wanted to ask you, um, when did you first get into acting? When was that interest sparked? Were you in high school plays and stuff? or Yeah.
1: Actually, it started in before high school, but before like in grade school, I think it was like fourth grade or something or so that I was in a play. And I really, I just did such a, uh, it was so much fun to do and got a great applause from everybody. And it was just, it was amazing. And that feeling, that sense of accomplishment of doing a great job really kind of stuck with me and said, hmm, there may be something here.
0: And that's where the interest was first sparked.
1: Yeah. Also before that, I used to, for holidays, I used to drive in from New Jersey to Brooklyn to see my grandma and aunts and uncles and everybody. And I would sing and everybody would give me like a (laughs) dollar. If I got lucky, I'd get $5. And I was like, wait, this is awesome.
0: Wow. What was the first part that you played in this play in fourth grade? Gosh, it
1: was, I don't even remember. It was some kind of Like I played a leprechaun or or some kind of, some kind of thing. And I remember entering on the wrong side of the stage and still everybody laughed. I can't remember the exact name of what it was that we did. I think we actually made it up. So, okay. Uh, Yeah. So
0: you make the move from Florida to LA. What's, did your family just move out there or what was it that made you do that jump? Is it the whole pursuit of acting? Is that why you did it?
1: Yes, that is why I did it. Um, Mom and pops divorced when I was 10 in New York City, and uh, mom moved out to California and uh, at the time was kind of strange, but I lived with my dad and uh, he got remarried. And that's when we moved to Tampa, Florida, well, to Oldsmar. Once I graduated from there, you know, after doing plays and and stuff, uh, I decided that uh, I think California was my calling.
0: So you get out to L.A. and how long did it take before you said, I'm a, I am I got to get an agent, I got to get representation?
1: Well, second semester, 11th grade, I kind of took the jump and decided to go from Florida to L.A. And mm-hmm. um, and while I was out there, I, I stayed for only half a semester and then I decided to move back to Florida. But while I was in L.A., I met a manager named Marilyn Sherman. She's infamous with um, discovering people like she discovered Forest Whitaker. She discovered Jimmy Smits. She also discovered uh guy, Bill Allen, who's a, a close friend of mine. Now he was in the movie rad. Okay. The eighties BMX movie. So I, I was with her and, um, and she had me audition for a, uh, a Pepsi commercial. No, it was, wasn't a Pepsi commercial. It was um, oh, gosh, it was some. It was a different commercial, but I didn't get the job because I didn't mm-hmm. have a screen actor sculpt card. So
0: oh, SAG. Um, okay.
1: Yeah. So I moved back to Florida, and uh, my mom came out for my graduation. She's like, "What are you going to do?" And I said, "Well, I don't know." I, at the time, I was working at Publix. And I said, "I can just, you know, work my way up. I'm I'm a bag boy now, but I'll make it to be becoming like middle management." And she said, "Why don't you give L.A. another try with that manager?" And I said, "You know what? I got nothing to lose." So I got to stay with my mom, you know, and I had a place to stay, which was awesome. So I moved out in September, and I booked my first commercial. That was a Pepsi commercial for the movies uh-huh. in this in December. Wow! And they tapped lead me, so I got in there, and um, and it was a Pepsi commercial with Johnny Depp, Cheryl, and Finn. Brooke McCarter from Lost Boys, my late great best friend Harold Pruitt. Um who else was in that? Uh China Phillips from uh what should we call it? Her mom was in the and dad were in Mamas, Mama's and the Papas. Mm-hmm. That was a tongue twister, huh? Um, right. <laughs> and <laughs> Mama and <met> Papa and <laughs> Kelly Minter, who uh, ended up actually being in Nightmare on Elm Street 4.
0: So you obviously had an act that Marilyn recognized and um, casting directors must have recognized is your skill set because so many people, and you know this, I know you know this, so many people, they decide to get into that industry, into the, the business and they go out to Los Angeles, but they end up becoming waiters and waitresses trying to break into the business for you to start getting jobs that fast to break into the business that fast. That says something about you, Ira.
1: Yeah, I, I, I feel, look, it's a blessing or a curse. You know, here I am still 35 years later working hard and trying to make sure I, I get my health and pension and everything for the family mm-hmm. and continue to to get roles and, and work hard. So it's not an easy industry. That is for sure. But have I had some some good breaks? Yes. And, and some lucky breaks? Absolutely.
0: That's crazy. That's awesome. Now, night on Elm Street Part 3, that was your first major motion picture?
1: Yeah, that was uh, that was the first one I remember getting a call from from Marilyn. Ira, you got an audition. You're going to meet the casting director Annette Benson, uh, and she's mm-hmm. going to pre-read you. and And if she likes you, then she's going to put you on video. So I met with Annette. Sure enough, she liked what I what I read, and she said, "All right, we're going to put you on tape for the director Chuck
0: Russell." And so we we did that. And did you know what the movie was or are you just you have yeah. sides? Oh, you did. OK.
1: Well, I mean, I, I got I didn't get the whole script. I just got uh-huh. the sides. Yeah, I did know what it was about, obviously, because um, I had seen it in high school and it was scared the hell out of me. I was really excited because again, Dungeons and Dragons was my forte back then. So <laughs> so when when you see me with with uh Jennifer Rubin, Taryn White, and I'm in that scene with her and uh and Joey, Rodney Eastman, and I say, okay, your horse is being attacked by the bog demon. Go. <laughs> <laughs> roll the dice come on you saw know, so i'm like literally and they're there. they could not give two shits they they don't right. know, like whatever no no you gotta say the words come on you know that was
0: easy for me to do that was you, you weren't even acting that was no. who you were <laughs> yeah seriously, that's fantastic and i remember she just kind of gave up she's like i want to go to bed right or something along those yeah, lines I,
1: yeah i go to bed and i get a new horse in the morning <laughs> yeah i look over to joey how do i score that enchanted slumber or death <laughs> and and that was, yeah
0: that was totally natural for you that's who you were yeah man that's fantastic you read for the director and she likes you she puts you on video i had read in another interview that you had was it five callbacks the initial read and then five callbacks as you get through this process is that right the initial read plus four yeah it was, four, okay. it was
1: insane um they kept having me come back and uh Uh, one of them, I had to actually read, uh, Joey's lines, uh, cause they had like 20 nurses come in. (laughs) So that was, that was really cake. That was easy (laughs) for me to do. I knew at that point, Chuck really liked me and, and he, he liked what I had done and and everything. So funny story. I haven't really talked much about this, but my cousin, David Shacker was an acting coach and he taught a kind of acting called flat. Where you are always in monotone, kind of, and you know, you it's making it more real when you talk down here, as opposed to being animated and, and everything. Mm-hmm. And so, I went in on the second interview after I had read with my cousin to help me on the sides. And Chuck's like, "Ira, where did you go? What happened to you?" And I said, "Well, my cousin told me this is the way to do it." He goes, "No, no, 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 no. Just do what you were doing." <laughs> so uh, I ended up, you know just doing what I did. And, uh, and luckily I landed the gig.
0: Oh my God. That's fantastic. As you go through to, back to these different auditions, what was your excitement level like? Because, you know, obviously you're making your way through, you're navigating it. This is a, a major movie. You already saw the first film. I mean, the excitement, I can't imagine. Okay. You got to go back in, you got to go back in, you got to go back in. What I, was that like for you?
1: Mark, let me tell you, Oh I my was god. a, a creature <laughs> of habit. I drove my car. I tried to find the exact same meter on Beverly Boulevard. <laughs> I took two hours of time in that meter. I walked the same exact way. I tried to take the same exact elevator on Robertson up to New Line, sure. uh, which I believe was on the sixth floor then. Okay. Um, had everything, had my sides in my left hand, had my headshot in the right. I mean, it was like, I had to make sure I did everything the exact same way. But it was definitely each time was was more exciting and more uh, oh, oh my gosh, my gosh, I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna get it. That's and then, so awesome. Then the final final uh meeting and then getting the call from my my manager, Ira, it's Marilyn, you booked the job. Oh my God. Unbelievable. It was, it was um, oh my gosh, my mom was so happy for me, my dad. <laughs> who was uh, still in Tampa, was so happy. Uh, Everybody, it was really a a great time.
0: That's so cool. At what point did they find out that you played Dungeons and Dragons and that you liked Middle Earth, Lord of the Rings, that that was really your thing? How did that come up in the audition process that they found out about it? Oh, well, I mean, I told them. I said, okay, okay. I did this. This is me. (laughs) This is not a character. Like I am this this actual character. I am Will
1: no i wasn't hiding that i didn't need to uh to hide anything like that i'm I'm so excited to be able to do this i actually have played this and everything like that so
0: did uh did chuck russell ever give you any of the backstory or the motivation on your character will backstory or the motivation um
1: i mean the sides that i had pretty much told you everything that was going on um Mm -hmm. but I'm trying to remember if, like, Chuck actually ever said anything about any kind of backstory. Of so, you know.
0: Sometimes, and I know that, like, directors will say, this is kind of your motivation. This is where your backstory is. And, and I learned this from Betsy Palmer because I sat down in Los Angeles in 2000 at a restaurant, and we had lunch together. And she was talking about her character of Mrs. Voorhees. And she talked about, this is the way I see it. I'm a single mother. I'm raising this kid and this kid's my whole entire life. And these camp counselors are out, you know, doing drugs and and having sex. They're not paying attention to the most important thing in my life. And this child ends up drowning. My life is destroyed. And how would I react? And that's She put that together on her own. It wasn't something that Sean Cunningham said to her, but that's what she got out of it when she read the script.
1: Right. No, that's great. And I mean, I just stuck to him being, you know, very nervous and and fidgety Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And then when I did get the job, they lent me the uh, wheelchair so I can kind of get used to it. We, my friend Harold Pruitt and I went through Westwood one night and, uh, (laughs) Just to kind of get the idea of what it would be like. So, you know, I was just wheeling around and stuff. And some people were super nice, like they held doors open for me and everything. And some people would just look away and not oh. make eye contact.
0: Oh, that's sad. And
1: yeah, that is sad. But funny story. There was a place called the record star And it was a place where you could record your own songs. You know, you'd pay for it. And uh, Harold knew this guy, John Schmidt who worked there. And so this, he was working there that night. And uh, so we wheeled over to him, Pruitt opened the door for me and and I came in and and John's like, Hey, how are you? Nice to meet you. I said, I'm Ira. Nice to meet you. Shook his hand and everything. I said, uh, Hey, John, I need to use the restroom. Is there, is it close by? And he said, yeah, but it's up the stairs. (laughs) And I said, Oh, okay and then i got out of the wheelchair and walked up the stairs. <laughs> he had no idea that i wasn't, you know, confined to the wheelchair.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah, that was that was a funny funny time. <laughs> what was the dynamic between you and the other actors when the camera wasn't rolling? Like oh. how well did you guys get along together? Oh, we got along great.
1: Um, you know, one of the things we did right before we shot was we did a reading uh at Chuck's friend's apartment on, above the Avco in Westwood. So we read the whole script one Sunday because we had never all done it together. So mm-hmm. it was great. And uh, the, the camaraderie was just, was awesome. Much like when you see us on screen, you know, like we're, we're coming together as a pact and fighting Freddie. You know, I became really good friends with, with everybody from that set. Chuck was like my father on, on set Rodney I I had met his uh, roommate Danny Nucci I think we yeah at that time we hadn't been in the same acting class but they were roommates and so Rodney and I became great friends and then Bradley Greg um I ended up helping him get the j- audition for the uh for the movie so I became great friends with them and then Jennifer and and uh, Penelope also you know we we all hung out and Heather she was like the mother hen of the whole
0: uh right thing.
1: And uh, of course, Patricia Arquette, you know, she was absolutely phenomenally great. And uh, so we all really did um, hang out and and have a great time.
0: You know, I met Heather in Maryland at a convention Mm -hmm. and she was just the sweetest person, just so authentic and so real. You mean grandma, Heather? She's a (laughs) Oh, is she really? Yeah, she is. Oh, she's just fantastic. No,
1: she's, she's awesome. Um. Anytime we go to conventions and we're all there, she's always taking us all out to dinner. She's um, she helped head off this uh, thing. We had an idea in North Carolina: we should take the Dream Warriors and read it and and do it like <laughs> cross country, you know, do it like a, a a stage performance, like just all over and and charge money for people to come see it and everything. How and cool I took would it, that be? I took it to another step, and I was like, well, let's try it out, but let's let's raise money for mental health awareness. Heather came on board as our producer, and um we ended up doing it at the Whiskey of Go-Go. This was three years ago, and it was uh, I mean, everybody came in. Robert read his Freddie role, I played Will, Bradley was there, Joey. Um, the only two Dream Warriors that we didn't have were um Ken and uh Jennifer. But we had Penelope and we had Bradley. It was it was Great. And we had a couple of others from other nightmares, fill in the roles. Amanda Wiss played uh, one of the doctors. Okay. Um, But we ended up raising almost $20,000 for mental health awareness. Oh, that's so cool. And we did this at the Whiskey A Go-Go, the world famous place where the doors were were, um, founded and Van Halen played and Motley Crue and everybody. And I'm actually friends with Robbie Krieger and he signed a guitar of which a fan bought because we auctioned off a lot of stuff bought it for 5,000 bucks. So
0: it was a great event. We had so much fun and great memories for all of you guys. For sure. That's so cool. Is it true that you guys all had a crush on Patricia Arquette? She was easy to look at. That's for sure. Um, (laughs) Easy on the eyes. (laughs) Easy
1: on the eyes. Um, I think Rodney had the most crush on her. Um, Yeah. I kind of looked at her as as, um, like a, a great friend. And I looked at jennifer as my like sister and penelope as as like a sister friend stuff so i'm I'm wondering who else had a crush on her tell me mark
0: well i had read it on the the details on the imdp on the notes and i guess it had said that you know all the cast was crushing on her real bad and i wanted to find out if there was any truth to that or if that's just an internet legend
1: yeah you'll have to ask rodney
0: I don't understand how he is pursuing Patricia Arquette when he's got that nurse who is, well, it turns out she's actually Freddie, but he had the scene that most people remember, I guess, other than like the death scenes and stuff. Of course,
1: you know, they shot two versions of that, you know, one with Freddie, I mean, one with her topless. (laughs) Were you
0: on set that day?
1: I wasn't.
0: (laughs) Where where was I, Mark? (laughs) (laughs)
1: I got I got on the wrong bus apparently.
0: Um, oh man!
1: <laughs> no, nah, I'm sure it was a close set. Oh my gosh! Just bringing up just the memories of that that movie. Uh, we worked very hard on that movie, but we're very proud of what we did.
0: Everybody loves Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three: Dream Warriors, and other than the first one, I think that's probably the most talked about. For now, sure, I I, lo- I love the first three. But kind of like the way they wrote Freddie in part four going forward, he was such a sarcastic cartoon character. In regards to the line on how he talks to you about when you wake up, it's back in the saddle again. They definitely wrote it that you hate this guy. How can you antagonize a disabled kid?
1: No, exactly. And, you know, originally they were going to do, um, Robert was supposed to sing it like for now, but when you wake up, it's back in the saddle again but (laughs) they would have been sued (laughs) so oh really yeah so they didn't know the copyright on on isn't that a johnny cash song
0: back in the saddle again i i believe so i'm not a country person but it probably is
1: oh you should open open up your eyes and explore there's some great country (laughs) songs out there but so that's you know then instead he just goes back in the saddle again
0: I know that you had just said that you did this, uh, this show at the whiskey, a go, go. Do you regularly talk to the dream warriors now? Do you guys stay in touch pretty regularly other Um, than the convention circuit? Cause I know you guys travel all around, especially with the anniversary.
1: Yeah. Some of us do like, uh, Mm -hmm. Bradley, Greg is a, is a great buddy of mine now. I mean, he, just lives over the hill but his son lives literally down the street from me so um i'm always saying hi to him and oh, cool. as i'm driving by and uh bradley and i are always um calling each other and 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 texting each other and and there's a lot of fun banter on social media between our characters because <laughs> um, <laughs> we talk to each other as if we're in our characters But um, yeah, and Rodney, Rodney and I became super good friends. He lived right close to me in Hollywood. And his brother, Ronald, was doing film school at USC. And Mm. uh, I was in his short film called The Boy Who Spun Cats. Wow. Yeah. And so that, you know, I definitely kept in touch with him. And I I always call Jennifer out of the blue every now and then. Um, And Ken, I helped him a while ago with one of his projects that he was doing so yeah i mean and heather i i keep in touch with so That's i uh, cool. definitely keep in touch with the dream warriors
0: it's amazing that you guys were all in this film together and you got so close it's it's amazing i'm going to tell you about a little bit of trivia and you tell me if you already knew this okay dick cavett was allowed to pick his guest for jennifer's dream sequence do you know anything about this No, he picked Zaza Gabor because he thought that she was the dumbest person he'd met in his life and he would never have her on his show in real life.
1: Well, that's terrible. (laughs) So
0: if there is one person he'd want to see killed by Freddie, it was her. It was just, and I
1: mean, honestly, that is perfect planning because she's great, you know. I mean, like, oh yes, darling, for <laughs> so long, and everything is so <laughs> great. Then, it turns into Freddie. What the
0: fuck? What you think? <laughs> I remember that whole thing, and of course, all the Nightmare on Elm Streets, the cinematography, the camera work, kind of blurring the line between reality and the dream. That they've always done really well with those movies, right. Of course, Dream Warriors is no exception to that rule. It's just been fantastic. Is it true that you and Jennifer Rubin would go to lunch in costume and people would stare? Very true. So one of the first
1: times that she had her hair up, it was after our first dream sequence. We wrapped up, it was around dinner time, actually. And so we're like downtown and we're hungry. So we went to a Chinese restaurant that was close by and freaked everybody out. No one back then ever saw hair like that before. And she was definitely the talk of the restaurant.
0: Wow. Yeah. Um, 87 was Elm Street and 88 was Elvira.
1: That is correct.
0: And I got to tell you, to see your face in Elvira, I'm like, I know that guy. It same was so, glasses. It's your voice, it's the same personality. I loved it. I loved Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. I was so happy to see you come back and land this other role on this movie that's made it to all the theaters. I love that film
1: that was a whole nother fun audition process. You know, I read. and and then callback. there was, like, literally thirty of us, you know, reading. they're mixing up people and different guys are going in with different girls. And then, um, I remember, going in with Chris cam and, and uh, then it was like lunchtime. They're like, everybody come back in an hour. So I was like, Hey, do you want to go grab lunch? He's like, yeah. So I jumped in his Jeep. He literally had just come out from Minnesota and we grabbed lunch. And then we got back and they ended up letting us go in and together again. And uh, we ended up booking the job and uh, Ellen Dunning and uh, Scott. It was, it was just a great, great uh, pairing. And, I mean, come on, to get to work with Freddy Krueger and Cassandra Peterson?
0: (laughs) I tell you, there's so many people that were very envious of your position. But, you know, how many of those people had your talent? Because you clearly have a screen presence, and people just love your characters that you play. It's fantastic.
1: Thank you. That movie was so much fun to work on. Um, You know, I kind of got a little bit of a of a hint of how Hollywood was because before that I worked on a movie called illegally yours that Peter Bogdanovich directed and I played Roblo's brother in. So, you know, I went from nightmare to illegally yours to Elvira. <laughs> life was good.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's fantastic for you to go out to Hollywood and break into the industry that fast. Like I said before, that says something about you. As far as like for fans that want to meet you, are you, do you have any other conventions coming up?
1: Uh, nothing that I know of right now. Like, uh, you know, it was this year we had that full on tour, you know, we were in Mm -hmm. Texas Frightmare, which was awesome in Dallas in May. And then we did Son of Monster Palooza, which was great. Awesome. That was in Burbank. And then we went to Manchester, England for, for the love of horror, of which I got to meet Ari Lehman from, uh, the Friday the 13th.
0: Mm-hmm. The and, the young Jason that yeah, jumps out young of the lake. Jason. Yep.
1: He he's a really cool cat. And then uh I met Corey Taylor from Slipknot. Oh, cool. Never been a big Slipknot fan. That's a <laughs> right? different genre of music. But sure. I gotta tell you, he's the nicest guy. He is so great. And uh and we had a lot of fun uh hanging out. Um and then we were just like I said, last weekend, we were in Monster Mania in Pennsylvania, which was great. Uh, oh, my God. I got to get there a day before the uh, the uh, convention. So the next morning, I got up and jogged to Valley Forge on Veterans Day, which was pretty powerful to, to see what that whole place was like. And then I took the train into Philly and saw the Liberty Bell and Independence Hall. So you oh, know, cool. Some of the Very cool things cool. about these, Mark, is, is you, get to, you get to see some things when you're on Tour,
0: <laughs> that's awesome. Is there any way for fans to be able to get your signature, to get your autograph, if they can't make it to conventions? Do you have any type of uh, website or way for them to buy your autographed eight by tens?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm working on a website right now, but okay, um, you know, people can reach out to the Ira Hayden page on Facebook, and always DM me and request. Um, I'm happy to oblige, and I guess as a matter of fact, I got to send out three autographs today. Um, oh, very cool. That's my next thing is to to set up the website so that people can just go on there and then say, you know, I want 46 signatures. So, my
0: extended family wants them.
1: Exactly. So um that's what I gotta work on. I gotta get the uh get the website going.
0: That's cool. The fans will be looking forward to that. I'll have to message you because I do not have your autograph and what? my and I've been Ira, to conventions all over the United States, but I've never been to a convention where you're there. I've been to Maryland. I've been to New York, uh, Chiller Theater, uh, Monster Mania, Spooky Empire in Orlando.
1: Yep. Uh, I've been there. I was there six years
0: ago. They need to bring you back. They need to they bring do. you back. They
1: do. That's how I'm trying to get back there this year, which would
0: be great. And, and then you could go back and see uh, see how everything's growing up in your old hometown. Seriously. Anything else you wanted to say about Nightmare on Elm Street or Elvira? Because I'm a fan of both, Ira.
1: My gosh, just um, both of those films were so much fun to work on. And Cassandra and I still text each other every, uh, not every day, but we we send jokes to each other, which is hysterical. You know, I sent her this uh, GIF of of her, like looking at me at the bowling alley and saying, you know, two days ago we were bosom buddies. And I said, happy Halloween. And she said, happy Halloween. You're my breast friend. Uh, (laughs)
0: Her bazungas. Yes, she's
1: she's hysterical. She's absolutely great, and uh, I think I think she's trying to put together next year of a screening of Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and have the cast there, and we'll be able to sign autographs and stuff. So,
0: well, Ira, thank you so much. I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving and a wonderful holiday season. Thanks for coming on the Gay Florida Man podcast. I appreciate your time.
1: Absolutely, thank you very much, Mark.
0: All right, we'll talk to you soon.
1: Hey, Mark, whatever you do, don't fall asleep.
0: Oh, shit, Ira. If I do, can I depend on the Wizard Master?
1: In the name of Loris, Prince of Elves, demon be gone! Sorry, kid. I don't
0: believe in fairy tales. Uh. And I end today's podcast with the same thing I tell you every week, and that is to be good. If you can't be good... good at it and if you're sitting in prison you're not good at it good night everybody and sweet dreams